unidentifiable flying object. UFO continues to be a mystery. Wasn't alone in space. Sightings of UFOs. Something out there. Close enough to be observed. What could it be? Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of UFO No, your break from the propaganda, the bad news, the political nonsense that's about, and uh, get in some fun, talking about interesting and unique topics like Brazilian humanoids, cosmic drones, and UFOs. Oh yeah, it's going to be a doozy. Thanks for joining the show. Uh, we're in the stratosphere, baby, cruising at about 81,911 feet, and it is clear skies, baby. If you like the show, be sure to share this episode. Give us a nice review. It really does help. Hit that subscribe button if you're on the Rumbles, preferably. They do a lot for the show. Or YouTube, of course, you can watch there, too. It also very much so helps. Uh, don't forget, you can also donate at patreon.com slash podcast, where you get no ads every single inch of my loyalty, and I'm going to be adding a whole bunch of new stuff really, really soon. Stay in touch. It's going to be great. Also, you can go and get yourself some sweet-ass merch uh, coming at you. Got the logo on there. Got some other ones like uh, Cosmic Blue Balls, Let's Get Abducted. I got a shirt on there for the blind one, blind Mike, uh, but just click the show notes, the link in the show notes below, uh, but I love every single one of you. Before we get in, guess who's joining me today? It's Ed, everybody. What's going on, buddy? How are you? You know, it's it shouldn't be that much of a surprise nowadays. <laughs> you know, it's, I was uh, going to say, are we I'm, going steady or what's the deal? Yeah, I think we're going more steady than anyone I've been in a relationship with, buddy. Hey, all right. I like it. And I would like to say that, you know, although collectively we may be cruising at about 81,000 feet, I plan to uh, climb in altitude a little bit more than that. Oh, the co-pilot says we're going higher. I guess it's what we're doing. (laughs) We'll be at about 101,000 feet by the end of the episode. Oh, Jesus. We're going up. Uh, Hey, the rest of you can join us, too. You know, I was thinking about this. I was thinking about what would, how much fun would it be if we did, like, a a drinking game or whatever your uh, intoxication of choice game. And, uh, like, anytime we say humanoids or UFOs or aliens or you know, uh, anal probing, I don't know, whatever, just some keywords, but we'll have to work on that. But if anybody has ideas, I think it would be really fun to do like, uh, to do like some kind of a, an intoxicant game. Cause I'm not much of a drinker, so it wouldn't be a drinking game for me, but believe me, I'd be getting inebriated. Uh, we'd have to make it really extra special for our audience. Of course. That's why we got to put some thought into it. But anyways, I would love for yes. you, the listeners, to uh, get in on this. Let us know some ideas. If you have some uh, ideas of a fun game that we can employ, the, some keywords that we typically use, you know, once again, UFOs, humanoids, whatever. Um, or how many times do we say fuck? I don't know. Whatever you want to make it on. But I think it'd be really fun. But yeah. And if it turns out good, we could always 
reemploy it later on as well. We can make it a, a regular thing, maybe once a of month course. or something. However, but either way, who knows? Either way, just so you know, my peeps, we're always working on something. But that kind of came to me. Wouldn't that be fun? But uh, anyways, play amongst yourselves is what I'm saying, and turn this into whatever the fuck you want. Have some fun with it. I I thoroughly, absolutely encourage that type of behavior. So go get fucked up in my name, whatever you want to do. That'd be great. Responsible. That, get fucked up responsibly. Yeah, all right. Ed says that. I say let your freak flag fly. Yeah, in your own home. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. If you're anything like me, I, don't, I, I, I like getting fucked up, but I don't like getting fucked up around other people. So, you know what? Like, He's right. Although the only time I do... Although the only time I do is at a concert. If I'm at a concert, like gloves are off, pal. Well, I'm I'm getting as fucked up as I can get or want to get anyway. Well, generally that's because there's some kind of an emergency service there that you know you're going to end up in someone's responsible hands if you end up too fucked up. Maybe. Maybe. Either that or they'll all point at you and laugh. Either way, it's going to be an adventure. So, anyways, turn this into a drink game. Whatever you want to do with it, just thank you for listening to the show. It really means a lot. Once again, go support us any way you can. But what are we talking about today? Like I said, Brazilian humanoids, cosmic drones, and UFOs. Like everywhere else, uh, Brazil during the 1970s had a really high number of UFO sightings. I say everywhere else because it seemed like uh, between the 50s and the 70s, there was just a lot of different waves of UFO sightings around the world. Uh, but in Bra- Well, you know, yeah. the, oh, sorry. No, the, those Spanish-speaking countries, too, like uh, Mexico is very, uh, what would you call it? Um, uh, a hot spot? Shit, I can't think of the name of it. No, like... Uh, like all those Spanish speaking countries are very, um, they have beliefs. Oh, in weird things well, I was going like, to say uh, that. Yeah. They, uh, they have deep spiritual beliefs or very, uh, a lot of superstitions, generally religious superstition. That's yeah, what spiritual based. That's what I was thinking. of. But, um, yeah. what's interesting is I agree with you. Like, does that, you know, we've talked before about psychic internet and, and the idea of, you know, conjuring these things through a concentrated will of people. So, does their does the strong belief systems in these countries mean that they have more sightings because of that, or is it simply because these areas themselves, the land, uh, ley lines, whatever it might be, create hot spots? So I think they're the chosen ones. Oh, it could. I mean, it could be a number of things, but. Either way, they saw everything from uh, shiny metallic objects hovering over the ocean, multiple objects coming out of the ocean, multiple objects going into the ocean, coming out of nowhere, vanishing into thin air, drone-like devices, close-up counters with humanoids, you know, the huge. So what, what, do you, what do you think of when you think of Brazil? Uh, I think of very tan bodies. Is what I think of. Uh, that's the first thing to come that's, to my mind because I'm a pig. But otherwise, um, I mean, just gorgeous water. You know, a deep, a deep history. I mean, honestly, I don't know a ton about the the area, aside from like a lot of these areas, like you pointed out, that have a spiritual or or very deep seated religious background. It there's a lot of weird shit that takes place. There is, and so do you, do you think it's be- yeah. Do you think religion plays a, a, a toll in in uh, in phenomena like that? I think Whether people's be belief a, like a, plays 
apart. I think no matter what you believe in, whether it's God, whether it's the devil, whether it's no matter what you believe in, if you are putting that out there, let's say that someone is just terrified and they're praying. It is literally their belief is oozing out of their pores. So it's going to be strong. You know, so yeah, I I definitely believe that their belief, you know, the, the individual religions, I don't think play a big part. It's the, it's the people's belief in that area. It's in the ground. It's like adding, I mean, it's like adding fuel to the Yeah, fire. it permeates the air. You know, I mean, you can feel it when you go into these areas, you can, you can see it in the architecture. You can see it in the, you know, everywhere you go, there's religious, spiritual, um, you know, uh, uh, clues around, uh, not to mention the way people behave. So it's, it's everywhere. It permeates everything. So, yeah, I absolutely believe that. And we've touched on that. We've talked about in the past, in previous episodes, hey, go check them out. Uh, but we've talked about them, about the idea that we as people, we very much so affect our reality. You know, in, in a lot of, we manifest our reality. So if we're concentrating yeah. on a superstition, a belief, or something like that, how does that change our reality? Now you have an entire population of people, thousands of people, at least hundreds of people concentrating on that exact same belief. Yeah, you're going to have some kind of reality altering event. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, to me, it only makes sense. It would be like if you took anything that responds to electricity and bombarded it with electricity, it it would change. It would change that that thing. So it's the same exact thing. We're putting energy out. We're also intaking energy. It feeds each other. Um, so I kind of have this idea. I've, I've, I've said this before. It's like a Lotus flower of energy. It's put, it's pouring out and then it's pulling itself back in. So it's almost like a big net of just pulling in psychic energy. You know, you can kind of look at it that way. These areas. Kind of like, uh, What was that big, that that good scary movie back in like the eighties, uh, with the house that was built on aerial uh, Indian burial ground? Oh, Poltergeist. Um, Poltergeist, Fuck yeah, yeah, dude, great movie. Kind of like that, great how movies. it just kind of pulls in, pulls in the the bad energy. Yeah, all the energy around it, it's like a black hole. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the idea. Is that these areas? So that's kind of one of the questions, among other questions, in this, is that. Do these areas like Brazil, are they hotspots simply because of the people? Are they hotspots because of the land? Are they hotspots due to the, you know, like the Bermuda Triangle? Why is that place so fucking weird? You know, so there's obviously something to locations. But in these specific incidents, it's people that are seeing shit. Um, So in this first case, it is uh, Donna Marie Nazare. Now, I'm going to butcher a whole bunch of fucking names throughout this. So, oh, that should be another one. Anytime I butcher a name, take take your whatever of choice. Uh, (laughs) So, Jesus, people are going to be fucked up at the end of this. Uh, Donna Marie Nazare Machado and her family, along with a local police officer, saw a craft from their veranda or veranda. Uh, off the coast of Rio de Janeiro. Story goes, a little after noon on June 27, 1970, Donna was in her kitchen making lunch. The rest of the family was sitting outside on the veranda with their neighbor, Mr. Aguirre, a Brazilian federal police agent. When Aguirre saw 
what he thought was some kind of gray metallic boat, uh, about 15 feet long, hovering over the water. So, so the cop? Yes. The cop saw this? <clears throat> the cop. Okay. Yep. Aguirre uh, saw about, uh, hovering over the water about 3,000 feet off the coast. Now, think about that in itself. 3,000 feet off the coast. What's a football field? Football feet's 100, uh, 100 yards, right? That's 300 feet, yeah. right? 3,000 feet, this guy uh, spotting a 15-foot-long boat? Yeah, that's, that's insane. At least to me, yeah, I mean, I have the eyesight of a fucking mole, but I, I still think that is crazy. But anyways, he spots this 15-foot-long boat 3,000 feet away off the coast. Um pointing out to everybody the way it was striking the water. Now, mind you, 3,000 feet away, he can see how it's hitting the water. That It's just crazy. Anyways. Yeah, that, that is crazy. That 3,000 yeah. fo- feet away, 15 feet long, foot long boat, and he can tell how it's hitting the water and that it seems weird. Uh, so everybody looks at this weird boat, says that they also see what looks like two small people. Again, that's incredible that they can see that far away. Two small people wearing shiny clothes with something on their heads, waving their arms, trying to get their attention. After a few moments, still thinking it was a boat in trouble, Aguar left for the Mar Hotel to let authorities know to send out a rescue boat because it looked like to him these people were uh, needing help the way they were waving them down. So the family continues to watch as this object gets closer when it's around 300 feet from the shoreline, which to me is around where most people would be able to see these kinds of things. So, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, I can't even I can't even really fathom how far 3000 feet is because unless someone was to, like unless I was to see it and know that was 3000 feet, I don't know if I'd be able to judge. That. I mean, isn't that 10 like, football fields? Sure. I mean, it's a 300 feet is a, th- is a football field because a yard is three feet. It's 100 yards, 300 feet per football field, 3,000 feet. So 10 times 300, isn't that 3,000? I'm probably really yeah. stupid right now, and people are like, oh, my God, this guy can't do math. But that's what I'm going to say. Well, I'm, ag- I'm agreeing with you, too. I, I, I went to school for fucking communication arts i didn't go to school for math thank you as little math as possible well i i don't do math i can barely read but uh three thousand feet once again i think that's i think that's 10 football fields so that's crazy that's crazy yeah it's crazy and we're talking about 15 feet and then they can see two small people in there so it's just that in itself i'm like i don't know Either way, did they have binoculars? Well, not at this point. It's just saying that they're watching. No binoculars are in use. Uh, but now, Aguar is out over at the hotel letting them know, letting the authorities know to send out a rescue boat. It looks like people are in trouble. Family's still up there on the veranda looking. Now the craft is about 300 feet away. Um, but now they can see that it's a disc, and it wasn't bobbing with the waves on the water like it should. Uh, So Aguar comes back about 30 minutes later. They're still watching the craft. The object starts to move, skimming the water for a few moments. 
before rising into the air in a low arc and heads out to the deeper sea. So basically back where it came from. Um, Aguar says it was clear to him it was a flying saucer. Donna Marie points out another object with several flashing green, red, and yellow lights behind the disc that looked like it was retracting back inside it as it's taken off. Once in the air, the object speeds away out of sight. Donna looks back in the water where the object had been and sees a white hoop-shaped object. And it stays in one place for a few minutes, then sinks, but comes back a few moments later. Separates to form an oval shape for around two or three minutes, and then heads toward uh, a nearby beach. At the apparently at the back of this oval shape was a green section that separated from the oval and trailed behind it as this oval shape continued to get closer to the shore. And then all of a sudden it took a, a, a turn to the left and headed toward an, a different nearby beach. But Donna loses sight of it, so she goes taken off downstairs onto the road below them to get a closer look. She runs into several young boys, shows them the object in the water. They all stop to look, and then the boys try and throw rocks at it for about for about 10 minutes. Of course, boys will be of boys. Of course, which isn't a great idea, but if anybody's going to die, it's going to be the boys. So this ha- this goes on for about 10 minutes, and then it disappears. Then she sees it a little bit further down the shoreline, headed in the same direction as the disc had headed in, out to sea further. Around the same time, Aguar sees a fast-moving rescue boat headed out to, to sea less than 20 minutes after he reported it. Now, here's where I don't get it. It said that he reported the thing and then returned 30 minutes later, but then also says... The, the boat w- went out to the object less than 20 minutes after he reported it. So maybe it took him longer to get back home than I'm thinking. So maybe the total yeah. trip, so he reported in like 10 minutes, but the total time it took him to get back home was 30 minutes. Anyways, I'm just trying yeah. to keep the, the, the timeline straight. So he thought that was odd that they were so fast after reporting it that it would take longer for a few than a few minutes to get a whole team together to go look for this thing. So they headed out super quick, sees this rescue team. He sees this crew fish out a red cylindrical object out of the water and seemed to be struggling to do it. So meaning it looked like it was heavy. As soon as they got it, the boat turned around and headed back to shore. Fast forward to later that afternoon, Donna gets back home from trying to look at this thing and talks to the family with Aguar about what they had seen and the possibilities of what it had been. That's the end of that account. Now, the only reason I brought that one up because it's super vague and it's a little hit and miss in my opinion. But the reason I say that is for one there, this eyewitness thing 3000 feet out really hung up, hung me up on this, you know, and this is really, really common in a lot of UFO sightings, a thousand feet out, a thousand feet up, 
they're given exact dimensions. They see they they say they see humanoids and all that. I, I mean, I probably sound like a broken record because if you've listened to the show, I say this all the time. But eyewitness accounts are some of even in a criminal case are some of the least reliable forms of evidence because there's so many things that can change, uh, you know, variables that can cause weird things with eyesight or, or, you know, whatever the human eye misinterprets. I was going to ask you like, so being from like a Spanish speaking country, I kind of believe them a little bit more. And the fact that the guy was a cop makes me want to believe it. But then once he, he started telling the story, I was like, man, yeah, there's like shit that doesn't add up. Yeah, exactly. Like the distance and, yeah. and shit. But like, I don't know. Yeah. So here's the question, though. Yeah. I w- yeah. Go ahead. What, what were we going to say? Oh, oh, no, 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 no. Go ahead. Well, go ahead. I, I still look at it as like you said, he's a cop. Seems like, you know, in these countries, they're they're more religious. They just have a different set of values in general. And generally, lying yeah. is not a big part of that, especially family, you know, and all that. Yeah. But so, h- yeah. How many? How many of these uh, accounts, not just in Spanish-speaking countries, but all around the world, do you think may have to do with like mental health? Oh, I, I think I don't think it's necessarily like a mental health issue, or like like somebody's. Well, somebody's mental. I'm not saying all of yeah, them. Yeah, here's here's the deal. I mean, once again, going back to how people perceive their reality, we're talking about we are, it is impossible for me to know what your experience in this reality is. It's impossible. I don't have your emotions. I don't have your history, your experience, your outlook on life, your opinions, not to mention your unique chemical makeup. So it's impossible for me to understand your reality. You know what I mean? Like entirely. Yeah. So on top, you know, then you have these people, which for whatever reason that they are saying they had this experience, is it, did they see something that was surprising, but mundane that they made more out of it than what it was. And then it kind of took on a life of its own. That happens a lot. Yeah. You know, the big stretch in the truth. Yeah. I mean, but the biggest question is, I mean, that's kind of the whole thing is what are these? Are they terrestrial craft? Are they extraterrestrial craft? Are they interdimensional craft? Are they energy? Are they metal? Are they real material? Are, you know, is it, is it mental manifestation? Is it conjuring? Is it, is it, concentrated will we want these things to exist so they exist you know it could it could be any number of those things now you add in somebody's individual mental health well who the fuck knows i mean it honestly you who knows what did she eat that day you know that changed her to what did she have any time did she have oysters that like enhanced her senses that made her more aware of what was going on around her. So something caught her eye unusually. I mean, dude, I mean, the variables are insane. So yeah, yes. Mental health could absolutely play a part. Not to, not that I'm saying like people are crazy, but it's just that some are, some are. Yeah. But it's (laughs) either way. It's just, (laughs) we all have our own ideas of what, what is possible and what isn't possible. 
you know, in this world. Yeah. So when we yeah. see something, how do we interpret that? It's like a Rorschach test, an inkblot test. You know, that whole test was designed to reveal your psychology, you know, how your mind thinks with a fully just a, a random ink blot and you, your mind interprets it as an image. And that tells a lot about how you think. And dude, I mean, you talk about people that find shapes in clouds, people that find aliens in UFOs. I mean, that... What if everybody who claims they were seeing uh, a flying object of some sort, maybe they all just had really big eye floaters? <laughs> oh, man. Those when you get oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that that's funny, actually. Like, there's, it, it, there's been some things about that, like people have looked into the sun and then said the sun moved, but it was simply because you have that, that burned in your, you know, your eye at the moment, so it moves with your eye. Could be. Yeah. Have you ever, have you ever heard of those uh, funnels? that move through the sky that people have seen, seen those? Uh, occasionally. Yeah. Here and there. Yeah. It's, I always thought those were, I mean, there's a lot of weird things, but again, like then you have in, okay, holograms, you know, are people doing holograms? So, but we're already getting super deep, which is great, but it comes down to, is this, is this craft that they saw for one, not to mention, is it real? But, is it alien? Disc shaped, the way it moved, you know, does that mean it's alien? Se- secret military vehicle? You know, the fact that uh, the, the, the rescue team showed up so quick, does that mean that they were in on it? Inter- interdimensional being? Could be. What was the weird hoop-shaped object? Was that something that they left intentionally? Did it, you know, was it, could they have been delivering data or even more so was it spare parts for some underwater alien base supplies Mm? i mean there's all kinds of of uh of questions that's the beautiful thing about this but we don't even know if it's alien we just know it's a craft and we don't even know if it took place but either way in the same area again all in brazil but around that same area there were a, a whole bunch of other sightings like uh, Aristo Machado, who he didn't see it, but he claims that a lady named Donna Altair, who lived in his place before him, had told him that around 2 a.m. one night she wasn't able to sleep. She went out under her veranda. Does every house have a veranda in this place? Um, looked out towards the beach. What? 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 A veranda. What the fuck's up? It's veranda? like a porch, like a like a like a deck. Oh yeah, like yeah. like step into the foyer. Yeah, it's <laughs> just a fancy. But it's word. just okay. weird how everybody in the everybody in these so far has a veranda. So, anyways, they all step outside. She steps outside, looks out to the beach, sees some strange light. Um, she next thing she knows, there's a flying saucer rising into the air, changing colors, before it disappeared in the distance. But once again, that's according to uh, Aresto Machado, who didn't see it. He just heard this story from this lady. So four years before okay. that, somewhere between 10 p.m. and 11 p.m. on March 16, 1966, in the Barada Tishuka area, <laughs> several doctors and nurses at the Larenko George Hospital saw an object that came out of the sea hovered over the water for a little bit, 
and then headed towards some nearby mountains, stayed there for a little bit, then came back to hovering over the water, changing colors from green to blue and red the whole time. Uh, Less than 24 hours after that, around 5.45 p.m., uh, at Ilha Kagara, several people on the beach heard an explosion and saw an oval-shaped object come out of the sky and enter the water. Someone let a rescue team know, and four lifeboats went out, went over the whole area, found nothing. They even sent an air rescue plane over the area, didn't see anything. At least two people claim seeing a ball of fire heading towards the ocean just a few minutes before the explosion. So did it crash? Was it intentional? Did it land? What do you think? USO. USO. Exactly. I mean, there's a lot of those, man. I mean, there's a lot of, uh, there's a whole bunch of accounts out of the Bay Area, you know, outside of San Francisco, uh, Bay and all that of yeah. uh, crafts entering and exiting the, the water. So. Man, that's so crazy. That'd be, that's crazy. Yeah, I, I bet there's like ways around the earth from down in there. Like they've like dug like little moles they just dug little tunnels well i mean you think about the you know some of the some of the ideas of deep underground military bases and the fact that we have we know that a lot of the lakes around the u.s at least connect to each other yeah so some of them connect to the ocean so you know does that mean that some of these bases could also connect to these lakes maybe some of these lakes are are actually just implanted you know, as a cover-up or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know. Disguise. Yeah. Um, so a year after that, April 1967, around 8.30 p.m., um, at Gavay Peak, several people saw a strange object shooting white beams of light and hovering overhead. One of the people looked through binoculars and saw it was changing color from white to red and looked like it was signaling they watched for around 15 minutes before it disappeared. So the signaling idea is interesting because, um, you know, if you think back, if you've ever seen Close Encounters of the Third Guy, Ed, have you seen that? Hey, everybody. Thank you once again for listening to the show. I hope you're enjoying everything so far. If you want to help support the show, there are many ways you can do that. You can follow the link down in the show notes, and that will take you to several links, including our Patreon, where you can listen to the show, which you already are. Thank you very much. You can also leave a review on any of those. You can watch the show slash listen on Rumble. You can also watch slash listen on YouTube. You you can follow the show on Instagram, stay in touch. You can buy merch as well as you can follow the link to start your own podcast where you will get a $20 gift card and it lets them know that you're supporting the show. Love you all. Thank you so much. Back to the show. Um, no, I've seen the fourth kind. Oh, okay. Well, the, the close encounters of the third kind, Steven Spielberg, fantastic fucking movie. Richard Dreyfus, my God, amazing. But um, that's the same guy that was in uh, What About Bob, right? Yes, and Jaws. 
Really? Interesting. Oh, I didn't know he was in jobs. Well, yeah, too. he's the nice. guy. He's okay. the the scientist guy that comes to help. If I'm not mistaken, yeah. Okay. And uh, anyways, but great movie, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, fantastic movies. You know, the whole idea, you know, he's playing with his potatoes. It's all about the Devil's Peak, and I think it's, what, Arizona or something? And uh, and it's just this crazy thing. And so anyway, so in that, they try, they're trying to signal, communicate with the UFOs, and they're using color, you know, this idea that color can be universal. Um, so it's interesting that they thought that this craft was changing color and shooting beams of light. So anyways, I don't know. It's a, once again, some of these are kind of vague, real, real short, but it's, it's just, um, I think in my opinion, for someone to report this, there's something going on. Yeah. You know, like you said, it could be mental illness (laughs) or it could be that they actually saw something. So now let's, so those are a whole bunch of like USO, UFO, um, could be cosmic drones uh, or just regular drones, could be government craft, could be UFOs. Now let's look at some humanoid encounters that started or that, uh, that were in Brazil, starting with a guy named Fritz Abu Husen. Uh, so the story goes a little after 7 p.m. on uh, December 13th, 1972 in Bahia, 65-year-old Fritz Abelhusen, a retired businessman, was at home watching TV when his TV went static out of the blue. So he went out of the porch, see what the problem was. When he stepped outside, he saw a huge glowing object streak across the sky heading toward a hill several miles away. Fritz quickly, uh, quickly reached for his binoculars and saw that it didn't crash or land. Instead, it was hovering above the ground, and he could see it had two sections. The lower part was glowing like a neon light, and the upper section had windows or portholes with an orange glow shining out from them. Fritz yelled for his wife, Margarita, ha, Margarita, and their maid, Valdetta, to come and see, and all three of them watched in awe as these three flashing lights separated from the main craft and headed in their direction. At around 150 feet, these lights stopped, and the girls backed off, but Fritz stayed where he was. And from the one of these glowing lights, two beings about the size of an average teenager, they say, wearing a white, gray, white and gray one-piece bodysuit stepped out because of the bright light they couldn't see the details on their faces they could only make out the bodies but it was enough to make the two women run inside screaming for fritz to run with them but before he could do anything the two creatures turned back around back into the light headed back into the large craft and then the uh craft hovered over the hill for or took off and then hovered over the hill for several hours until around midnight and then disappeared. Interesting. Yeah. Now, another interesting part about this is that the story got out to the local newspapers, and the papers went to Fritz with a bunch of questions about what happened. We we had talked about this before. There was a... a, 
uh, we talked about a case, Rosalotti, where she was considered a credible case only because she wasn't considered a liar. <laughs> and I think that's hilarious. Only because, you know, in that same case, she was very religious, Italian. And, you know, like, look, people don't have to be a liar to be mistaken. Right. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't it doesn't mean that you're a liar if you're superstitious and you and you you know you you have a mistaken identity. You you think it's something yeah. and it's and it's not. So anyway, so even though Fritz was considered an honest man, so they considered him credible witness, I just find it like okay, so simply because he's not a liar doesn't necessarily mean he was accurate. Yeah, you know. that's true. Anyways, that's very true. But that's what they say is they say he's a credible, honest man, which is fine. He's not a liar. That's great. Doesn't mean he saw a UFO. But either way, he told them that when he saw this thing, he saw that a beam had come out from it and lit a small fire below. The kicker is when he went and took reporters to that location where he claimed the object had been hovering, there was indeed a small scorched patch of ground. There was even two smaller scorch marks where these two beings had been. Mm. Hot aliens? Maybe lightning? Hot aliens? Maybe lightning? <laughs> I want to believe in hot aliens. <laughs> hot, 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 hot. Soup. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hot, 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 hot. Super hot. Hot, 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 hot. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh,. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, that one, that one's, it could very easily have been lightning. I mean, but he saw, he saw these beings again, is mistaken identity. Did he, did he think lightning was aliens? Surely he had seen lightning before. Maybe. Have you ever seen the movie Phenomenon? Oh yeah. With, uh, yeah. Yeah. With John Travolta back when he, before he was creepy. Yeah. Yeah, maybe maybe all these people are just having strokes at the same exact <laughs> when they see all this shit, and that's to that's that's to explain for all. Yeah, of absolutely, stroke ridden. That's that's it. There was something in the water, something in the air that night, just stroking people out right and left. You get a stroke, and you get a stroke, and you get a stroke. <laughs> Uh, just over a year later, February 1974, around 11.15 p.m. in Sao Paulo, a couple named Lucia and Edison were driving home from the theater when they stopped for gas at an all-night gas station on the Raposa, Raposa Tavares Highway. Uh, the road they were on passed by the town cemetery and a row of tall trees. They saw through the trees what they thought were headlights from several cars in the cemetery with several people walking around the front lights. So they continued on to the gas station. About five minutes later, they were coming by the cemetery again, but this time all the lights were gone. So Edison, being a curious fellow, pulled into the cemetery so he could take a look, and it looked like they were the only ones there. No cars, no people. Then they felt the car lift into the air for several moments and then hit the ground again with a thud. At first, they thought they'd been hit by another car from behind. So Lucia opens the passenger door to get out and see what's up, but the car got lifted up again. So she pulls the car door shut, and suddenly she's feeling cold and weak. She turns to Edison, who looked like he was struggling to speak and was deathly pale. 
After a few minutes, Edison managed to start the car, put it in reverse, stomped on the gas. And as they sped through the cemetery, Lucia saw a strange entity, about four feet tall, dressed in silvery white clothing, a cape, and either a helmet or a hat. Then they were out of the cemetery, speeding home. When they got there, they... Cape, a helmet, or a hat? (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) When they got there, they found that the car's entire electrical system was burnt out. Yeah, dude. That's a fun one. Like, fast car. It wasn't really a car chase, you know, but it was like the car getting lifted up. Can you imagine that? If you're like... Not only that, but in a cemetery... It's already creepy. It's at night. First of all, why the fuck would you go into the cemetery to just look and see if there's cars in there? Like, motherfucker, just go. Maybe they were grave robbing. I guess. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe he's like, I got a thing against grave robbers. You know, or I want to pay my respects to this stranger. Yeah. Who knows? There's a few different reasons. That's right. Be in a cemetery after dark. That's right. But you know what impressed me most about that one? The alien in a cape. That's what I love. And a helmet, dude. The cape, a a helmet or a hat? I think it's a helmet. (laughs) I think she was, I want to say helmet and a cape because that just seems so professional. You know, like I really want, I really want, like, dude, let me tell you something. You show up in a cape and a helmet. You're either hardcore professional or a complete batshit crazy motherfucker. Like, that's it. There's no in-between. You're a superhero. I trust a man in a tunic. That's right. <laughs> That's right. You're you're either a superhero or a crazy pants. No, no in between. Uh, so a little over two years later, after that, just for before midnight, June twenty third, nineteen seventy six, again in Sao Paulo, a friend of eighteen year old student Paulo, Paulo, Jesus, were in Sao Paulo. There's a guy named Paulo. Can people not create unique names in this place? Jesus. Anyways, in Sao Paulo, a friend of 18-year-old Paulo Catijo called his house with Paulo's school books, claiming he had found them scattered around the side of the road. But Paulo never got home after class, so his parents reported him missing. After an intensive search, there was no trace for Paulo. His father claimed he got a sudden urge that next day to go check in their backyard, but it was more than just a feeling, he said. It was like something intelligent was trying to tell him something. So he found, he goes outside and he finds Paulo laying near the house in the backyard. He was conscious, but he wasn't fully aware, so they took him to a nearby hospital. The doctors found that he had significant irritation to his arms and that several ballpoint pens that had been in his pocket were discovered to be highly radi- radioactive. Ballpoint pens. Isn't that weird? That's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's cool, but it's also like super spy, weird. A spy thing. Yeah. So um, I'm not sure if that, you know how people get when they hear a story they want to jump on. So I think this is one of those, but maybe not. One of the family's neighbors yeah. named Virginia, after Paula was found, told the family that she, the the night he was found, had been standing on her front porch at around 7.30 p.m. with her daughter when they saw a luminous object appear over the neighborhood. That's it. And so, anyways, once again, is that connected? 
Is it not connected? Is it some old lady that just wants to hone in on the action? Like, you know, what is it? Um, it doesn't add or take away anything. So certainly doesn't add to it. I mean, she saw it. She may or may not have seen something, but either way, it may be worth mentioning. Uh, right. Yeah. So, but was that was that object returning Paulo? That's the question. Probably not. Who knows? Um, after a few days, he recovered and told his, his family uh, told his family what happened. So, the night he was taken, he had just finished his night class at around eleven thirty p.m walked his girlfriend home, and then was headed home himself. And on his way, he saw a strange light overhead. And he was trying to decide if it was a plane or not because it was moving kind of funny when he suddenly felt paralyzed. The object that he was looking at came at him and stopped about 20 feet away. Um, a being appeared around three to four feet tall with an overly large head, large eyes, pointed ears, and a nose like a pig's, wearing a blue-gray one-piece suit with some kind of logo or symbol on the chest. Then they were both rising into the air. Paulo looked up and realized they were moving toward a huge red and metallic gray-colored cigar-shaped craft. As they got closer, a door opened, and he was all of a sudden in a room with three of these beings looking over him. Still paralyzed, tele uh, telepathic messages flooded his mind all of a sudden, telling him not to fear them and that he would come to no harm, which is, of course, what they all say. Uh, the all-headed took him and themselves into another brightly lit but empty room where they performed several experiments. Now, mind you, it's empty, so I'm not sure how they experimented, but either way. They performed several experiments and were asking him questions, but Paulo couldn't remember anything specific about what the experiments were, what the questions were, anything. Next thing he knew, he was floating again, leaving the craft. Then he woke up in his yard, his entire body feeling numb and prickly all at the same time. Super weird. They said cape, helmet. Yep. And a symbol on the chest. Yep. You know what that sounds like to me? What? Superman. Bunch of superheroes. Well, this guy also had pointy, aliens pointy ears and a pig snout. So was it like the... Okay. Was it? I mean, maybe the porky look, pigs with him too. Maybe the inspiration <laughs> for Superman came from these people. These pig-like people, they're like, oh, don't put the pig snout, though. Make him look human. Yeah. You know? Is that where they got the, the inspiration for him? So pigs can fly. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Good one, Ed. Good one. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> uh, just over two years later after that, at around 11 p.m., July 11th, 1978, again in Sao Paulo. Story goes, a local 44-year-old woman who wished to remain anonymous, which does not help anyone's case. Does not help. No. Nope. Uh, I automatically don't believe it. I know, right? I mean, obviously, it's, it's, yeah, it's really hard to take those ones seriously. I understand why people, let's say you do have an experience, 
and you feel weird about it, but you want to talk about it. I don't understand why you would feel weird about it. Like you don't want people to know, but you also want to tell someone. I mean, maybe people do that with crimes, I suppose. Right. But still with this, I mean, I don't know. Wouldn't you want to be attached to that? I mean, to me, I would be like, look, well, for one, I'm not going to come forward. I've, I've never seen anything I feel is worthy of coming forward and telling people about. So to me, if I had something where I was like, holy shit, I got to tell somebody then, you know, maybe, but I don't, I don't know. It's a hard one. I just don't understand why people feel the need to remain anonymous as the same reason why I don't understand why people feel the need to add dimensions to what they saw to make it seem more credible. You're not doing yourself any favors. Yeah. No one's going to believe you anyway. (laughs) <laughs> no, and they're not going to believe you when you're, you know, when you're some bread maker going, it was a thousand yards across and it was 1500 feet up and it was going approximately a thousand miles an hour. Like, how the fuck do you know, bread maker? You know, how do you know that? Like, even pilots have had said that they have a hard time being able to tell not only dimensions, but speed when things are at an, a high altitude. So, yes. Yeah. Anyways, uh, she was watching TV when her dog got agitated, running in circles from room to room, like expecting something. Uh, The woman went to door to let the dog outside when she heard a loud mechanical noise. So she reached for the door and opened it against her better judgment. There, hovering just above the ground in front of her, were two humanoid figures wearing silver-colored helmets with large heads and their frame looked lit from the inside at the front with a faint blue light and an oval-shaped craft was parked behind them. They had large eyes and a small flat nose with no ears or mouth and were wearing matching one-piece suits that had multiple gadgets and devices hanging from them. Well, wasn't wasn't one of the other stories saying they were two-piece suits? Uh, potentially, yeah. A lot of these are, though, one-piece suits. A lot of them. A lot of them say they're like a a onesie type thing. (laughs) Uh, Aliens and onesies. Alien onesies. Uh, The woman felt paralyzed, but she wasn't sure if it was from fright or force. Then she heard voices in her head telling her not to be scared. One of the beings stared at her. One was looking around on the ground like it was trying to find something. Then the one that was looking around turned and went to the craft, got something like a flashlight from his belt, and lit up the entire yard. What's interesting about that is now you can get flashlights, tiny little flashlights that would fit on your belt that can light up your entire yard. Did you know that? They're incredibly bright. So to me, that that screams like legitimate human. That could easily be. I mean, obviously the face mm-hmm. and all that, but that could be a mask. Yeah, but they make ma- realistic masks. These well, days. not only that, but it could have been some kind of breathing apparatus that she thought was a face, but it wasn't a face. It oh, was yeah, actually a, a mask of some true, kind yeah. or something like that. So anyways, gets a flashlight, lights up the entire yard. Then he activates a device that produces some weird smoke. The next thing she knows, the humanoids are back inside their craft, motioning for her to join them. But she stayed put, so they motioned a little bit more urgently. She still didn't budge. 
So I guess in frustration, the beings entered their craft and uh, lifted up in the air and disappeared. As soon as the object was out of sight, she didn't feel paralyzed anymore. She also noticed only after the craft had gone that they had been in some kind of a vacuum during this encounter. Interesting, huh? Some, some kind of a vacuum? A vacuum. So what I imagine is like she didn't notice at the time, but like have you ever stepped into a um, not an airtight room but a soundproof room? Um, like a legit yeah. soundproof, like holy shit, soundproof room. Um, it's all I know. I have, yeah, but it was, it was a long time ago. So it is like it sound. It feels like you're in a vacuum. It's devoid. It sounds like quieter than silence. You know what I mean? It's like devoid yeah. of yeah. of all sound whatsoever. It's super weird. You can hear everything your body's doing almost. And so that's kind of what I imagine she experienced is something like that. Like they created some kind of bubble to whether, whether it was a time bubble or an air bubble, a sound bubble, who knows? But either way, that's what it sounds like to me is that she experienced a cone of silence, if you will. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, so, in May 1979, in Bacarachi, Parana, around 10.30 a.m., Franco Rodriguez, Maria Jose Pereira, and Arlindo Gabriel Dos Santos were out hunting with two friends. At some point during the trip, Arlindo got separated and saw an object heading down to the ground. As cautiously as he could, Arlindo approached the vehicle, stopping about 500 feet away from it. He claimed the, sh- the craft was shaped like a phone booth. Uh, Dr. What is that? Dr. Who? Right? Flies a phone booth? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I was never a big Dr. Who. I mean, I wasn't either, but I know right. about him. Yeah. I'm, pro- yeah. I'm probably going to get a bunch of people being like, what? You're not a Dr. Who fan? What the fuck? Uh, but anyways, he claimed it was shaped like a phone booth and was about five feet tall. He realized he had his camera with him, so he quickly snapped a picture. As soon as he did, the strange craft disappeared. Amazed at what he had seen, he ran to where the strange phone booth was um, to see what was up. A few minutes later, he saw a second object coming out of the sky, but this one was shaped like a bowl or a saucer and was bigger than the first craft. He stayed there taking pictures as fast as he could while still keeping his eyes on uh, what was going on. Then he heard a swishing sound and a puff of smoke swallowed up the second craft and it was gone. Before he could move, a third craft appeared out of the sky directly below where the first two objects had been. This one was barrel shaped around five feet tall and it had a large propeller type apparatus at one end and red stripes painted on it. It stayed still for several moments, so Arlindo walked toward it. But only after a few steps, the object vanished. Again, before he could figure out what was going on, another object appeared and descended into the same spot. This fourth object was egg-shaped with a pointy top end resting on four metallic legs. It had several windows on its side, but Arlindo couldn't see inside. He went to take another picture, but a white flash came from the object so bright that it temporarily blinded him. 
that would freak me out. Yeah, I would not want to be temporarily blind. No. So terrified, he drops his camera and turns and runs. He only got a few feet before he was suddenly unable to move. Not only did it feel stuck, but it felt as though someone or something was pulling him backward. He turned to look behind him and saw two humanoid figures approaching, wearing heavy suits and large helmets with a glass visor. When they were close enough, he could see that the faces behind the glass were human. Before he could take in what was happening, the figures each grabbed an arm and dragged him toward the egg-shaped craft. As he got closer, he could see a third humanoid figure standing by a set of stepladders that came out from an opening on the side of the craft. They pulled him inside, and when he looked around, he could see other human figures inside. They were all quiet at first, but then started talking to each other in a language he didn't understand. A large female entity entered the room and tried to communicate by pointing at objects in the room, but Arlindo didn't understand. So the female entity told him to cover his eyes, led him to another area, told him to keep his eyes closed. He heard the same swishing sound from before, and when he finally felt safe to look, the object was gone. Weird, huh? Yeah. 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 What I what I kind of imagine that one is is this there was like a staging happening. You know what I mean? Like it was it was the craft was staging into what it finally landed in. You see what I mean? I think so. So like oh, think so. so when we go to space, right? We have a rocket that takes off and it has like boosters on it. It has all this stuff. So we go through a series yeah. of staging where we first ditch the boosters, then we ditch the whatever stage two, blah, 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 blah. So it cuts down to this smaller, more maneuverable craft that then connects generally to the ISS. So what I imagine is happening here is they have the reverse. They have a larger object that's coming into Earth's orbit and then into the atmosphere that is then doing a staging maneuver, but in this case, actually disappears and reappears as a different object until it lands in its final stage. Yeah. You see what I mean? Yeah. So like, yeah, so maybe. every time it like came down and then poof, and then all of a sudden it's a little bit further down and it poofs and it's a different object. To me, it, it eventually got small enough to be this little egg. So that's what I imagine is like it's staged from this bigger craft, but that's a weird thing. Like it can actually transform itself. That's the first time I've heard something like that. Yeah, that is a trip. The other interesting thing is that they seem to be human. So to me, that one screams future humans. Time travelers. <laughs> But but the, what's the other interesting part is the fact that they brought him on board. He was fairly non-compliant, so they kicked him out. <laughs> like it was super quick, super quick. They like bring. Why would you be non-compliant? I mean, look, man. Depending on, you know, again, I you know I've been asked this before. What would you do if you ran into a, a spaceship, a, an alien craft, and like, what would you do? I have no idea. I honestly have no idea. 
only because it would depend on the nature of the encounter. You know, if I'm startled when I see them, like if it startles me out of nowhere, like they catch me off guard, I'm going to be a, a far more reluctant or apprehensive than if I just see them and have a chance to prepare myself slower and then see them approach out of this vehicle and then I can kind of approach them. But if I walk around a corner yeah, and knows. bam, there's two aliens and a craft there and they're like, come with us. I'm going to be like, what the fuck? So to me, it's all about like, what, what's the scenario? <laughs> Great show so far. Am I right? Don't let this happen to you. And about like 30 to 45 minutes ago, I beat the fuck out of my dick so goddamn hard that I can't even feel my left leg. My left leg has went totally numb. And my dick has also went totally numb to the point to where it feels fucking weird when I go and take a piss. Take CBD. Get the best CBD at ClarkstonCBDCo.com. Use promo code UFONO to save 10% on your purchase and help support the show. Yeah. Yeah. But anyways, but I would like to I think agree. I would be able to I keep agree. my shit together and actually say something. <laughs> and like communicate maybe come back how many people how many people that have been abducted do you think are able to communicate with them and figure out like what the fuck they want well i mean you know let's go back to my one of my favorite episodes we did episode 69 where it was all about the best form of communication fucking <laughs> so i mean you know you talk about alien and humans getting along being able to communicate you know they were they were getting it on, so I uh, Rob Zombie did a song about fucking in a UFO. There you go. So I I, I think you know I, look Travis Walton is probably the best example of a guy. Think whatever you think about his encounter, he has never changed his story in forty years. Never once, he's never changed anything. That's good. The only thing he's ever changed is his perspective on what happened. He, at the time of his abduction, he believed that it was, you know, he was terrified. He was trying to escape, that they were trying to injure him. He now believes, in fact, he said it on the Rogan podcast. He now believes that he may have been injured accidentally by coming too close to this vehicle and that it did something to him. They brought him on board to fix him. And that's what they did and then released him. And now after 40 years of thinking about it, He's wondering if at the time his fear and confusion about the situation made him misinterpret what was happening and that instead they were actually helping him. But at the time, he didn't know that. So I've touched on this before. A lot of these people do their are their experiences based on how they went in emotionally versus, you know, like if they were receptive to it, does that mean they have a better how many of these do they go in optimistic and then they turn bad versus how many they go in thinking it's going to be bad and it turns out to be bad. And then the ones where they're open to it, yeah. it doesn't seem to be bad. So I think a lot of it is yeah. your emotional state when you go in, obviously how you interpret this scenario. You know, these you don't know their intentions. You don't know where you are. You don't know what's taking place. You could very easily misinterpret that as, as wrongdoing. Whereas they could be, there's many cases of people being healed instead of being attacked and, you know, things being removed out of their body, they're cured of cancer or, 
you know, they all of a sudden they can they can do things. They there's there's cases of people claiming that they can heal people now after being abducted. Yeah, but there's also cases where people say that they got shit uh, injected into them. Absolutely, injected, but uh, implanted. Absolutely, implanted. That's true. Yep, yep. So again, it comes down to how I believe how they interpret their encounter. It's a roll roll of the dice. That's right. So I think part of it is, you know, how they feel going into it. Um, but anyways, but it's just interesting to me, this guy, how they just bring him on. And then he's like, I don't want to do this. And then they just kick him off. Like, okay, fine. Be gone with you. They're like, we ain't got no time for that. Shit. Yeah. Uh, several months before our Lindo's encounter, a little before 6 PM on February 13th, 1979 in Mendonca, Lima, uh, a topographer, Vladimir Manusi, along with four work colleagues, were working in the area when they decided to do some fishing in a nearby river while they waited for their equipment to be delivered. As they were fishing, they saw a disc-shaped object appear in the sky 100 feet wide and around 1,000 feet up, hovering motionless. Again, that's very hard to to determine that distance and how big it was. If it's 1,000 feet up, and you're saying it's 100 feet wide? I, I just, that's hard to do. That's hard to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it looked almost flat with a small circular depression in the central part. The craft was divided into radiating lines or segments similar to spokes of a cartwheel. Inside each of these segments, they could see several openings and the tops there were several domes. Then the object performed gentle, silent movements in all directions, releasing some kind of gas occasionally. That's interesting. They watched for over an hour, then three transparent tubes of blue neon light rotating within themselves came out from the underside of the craft, stretched down to the river below. And the men couldn't tell if the beams were putting something into the water or taking something out. But after several minutes, the beams cut out altogether. A moment later, another light went toward the water, this one coming from the left side of the ship, and spent, uh, sent sparks flying as it hit the river. The water all of a sudden was turbulent, like vibrating in just that one area. After a minute or two, the beam of light disappeared. A second later, an identical beam of light went into the water, this time from the right side. That's a trip. Yeah. I wonder what kind of gas. Yeah, see, I don't know. That's another thing is, like, how did... Uh, um, you know... Was it a gas to make them see something? You know, was it kind of some kind of a hallucinogen? Exactly. Could it have been something to make these lights look bigger? Or, or maybe, you know, like, you know what a, a light show is, right? Like, so could they have blasted a mist to, like, produce a light show of some kind? Maybe. Yeah, Maybe. Um. So as they looked on in amazement, they heard voices inside their heads all at the same time. 
It told them not to be afraid, that nothing unpleasant would happen to them, and that they were working here, those the, the beings, and the in the future, Earth will know. Then the event, then the vents on the object closed, and the large disc glowed a blue color, then red, getting more intense as the men looked on. The object suddenly shot into the sky and vanished from sight. In total, they watched for over 90 minutes this thing do this. And each of these five men told the exact same story. So I believe they saw it. Yeah. So the question is, what was the work that they were doing? And what does that yeah, I don't know. what does that mean that Earth will know soon? Dun 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 dun. You know the big the biggest thing that makes me, you know about about ninety percent of what we talk about. The biggest question I walk away with is, well, for I'll make a statement and then ask a question. In every single one of these aliens are the culprit. Like that's what they're, these people believe that aliens are the culprit. I've said for a while that nobody looks in the sky, points to a UFO and says, look, government cover up. So the question is, why is it that everybody assumes it's aliens? simply because we don't know what it is. Is that human nature to do that, to say, to give it a label? Does that mean we want it to be aliens? No, they've just been fucking pushed into our heads so much that that's the easiest excuse nowadays, I guess. Well, and again, I mean, is that intentional? Is that intentional that they do that to make us believe that this is aliens so we don't look at what the truth is, that the truth may be a lot more terrestrial? Well, it, it just might be a lot like it would be scary. It would be scary to know that. That the government's doing all this shit. Yeah, I think I really I think what what's scarier? The fact that there's an ex, there's a there's an interstellar race that wants to make contact with us, or that our government has some of the most insane technology we have ever known that they're testing out on us, around us. To me, that's scarier than aliens being real, and I think that's why people yeah, want aliens to be real is because they don't want it to be our government. They don't want it to be advanced technology in the hands of tyrants. Yeah. You know, I mean, of course, there's that argument that, you know, there are various alien races, that some of them are tyrants, and that we have, you know, other alien races that are in this galactic federation that are all, like, you know, some are enlightened, some are some are evil, and you know they're just like us. And so you have you have the bad guys, and you have the good guys, and the good guys want to help us, and the bad guys want to control us. But I I really think like why the fuck would any alien race give a fuck about Earth? 
Like what, what is it about earth that make, is it because we believed for so long we were the center of the galaxy? So now we believe that, yeah, okay. We believe we're not the center of the galaxy, but clearly we're popular. Right. You know, is that what it is? Like, why is Why are all these alien races so interested in us? You know, I mean, I know people say all the time, like, oh, well, wouldn't it be fascinating if you didn't know what humans were to go and observe humans? And I go, yeah, okay, apes and chimps are fascinating, but, like, you have a, a select few people that like studying them. You know, you don't have entire races of people that are like, we have to study these primitive, these primates. You know, so why is it that we have entire races of humans and supposedly we have multiple races of, uh, I'm sorry, not humans, aliens, and we have multiple races of aliens that are interested in us and and not only that but there could be dictating what our future looks like like why possible possible. it is very possible it's also once again i think it's very possible that it is it is human and that you know it's it's just government doing what government does you know spending our money to build advanced technology, to use however they see fit, wherever they see fit. And uh, they want us to be none the wiser. So the perfect fall guy is aliens. Perfect. I mean, it's the most, it's the most perfect scapegoat I can possibly imagine because it's, it's formulated with, human nature in mind we want to be a part of something bigger you know we want to know like what our origins would be so the fact that an alien race is out there and and i'm not saying that i don't believe in aliens i'm saying why would they fuck with us why would they why would they come anywhere near us for what you know, we don't even know our the entire universe, let alone how many planets are out there with with what. It, and so, what? Why is it Earth is so popular? I think it's just because it's all we know, and we love Earth so much. We think, how could somebody else not? Maybe it's not what. Maybe it's not us, but maybe it's our planet. Oh well, certainly. I mean, absolutely. It. You know, definitely. If it's. Uh, you know, if it's. Yeah, it it certainly wouldn't. I mean, well, maybe it is for us, man. Maybe there's a lot more to us than we than we know. You know, maybe this, yeah. maybe maybe we are so unique in that way. But I don't know, man. I just there's a lot of planets out there with with what seems to be very unique makeups. So it's hard for me to believe that this yes. one little planet that happens to, you know, have a lot of unique life on it is so sought after among these alien races. I, it's just really, I just don't understand why, what makes this place so popular. You know, then you start to really fine tune it in. What makes Brazil so popular? What makes uh, Mexico so popular? What makes, you know, then you go into, well, what makes places like Colorado hotspots? You know, what is it about these places? And again, then like you had said in the beginning, is it based on cultural differences? You know, you have areas with a lot of cattle. You have a lot of cattle mutilations. You have a lot of ocean areas, coastlines. You have a lot of USOs. 
you have yep. you have you know so you have areas with a uh, lot of desert mountainous ranges you have a lot of deep underground military bases so is it cultural is it regional there's so many questions as always there's more questions than answers in terms of the ufo and alien question but the biggest question i have is what do you all think out there hmm? what do you think about this what do you think about Brazil's humanoid UFO and cosmic drone. There wasn't a whole lot of cosmic drones, in my opinion. Didn't no, no. There aside wasn't. from that first one, which may or may not have been. I mean, they all could be cosmic drones, really. So, anything, anything where they didn't see actual pilots could easily be drones. But again, very, very true. I want to know what you all think. Let me know. Let me know. Again, if you have um, you have theories, experiences, you want to reach out, you want to talk, email. It's in the show notes. One link. Go click that in the show notes. It takes, Write us a letter. That's right. right? <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, go d- put it in Old English. Um, yeah, make sure, you know, send, send it to... Uh, Send it certified so that way the feds don't pick it up. You know, don't want to be traced. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah, you can email, reach out to us. Again, in the link in the show notes, click that link, reach out. Um, we are building a UFO No Army. So if you want in the ranks, go and donate. Go to patreon.com slash UFO No Podcast. Go and donate right now. Get yourself involved because we're going to be doing big things and it's going to be so much fun and i'm really excited i want y'all involved uh but for now i have to of course give my thank yous my og supported the first member of the ranks the designer tinfoil hat wearing aaron rice thank you so much i really really appreciate it it means so much to have you on board from day one of uh, the Patreon, so that's awesome. I really appreciate it. And, of course, to everyone else, Casey Armadillo, the first merch buyer and now a member of the UFO No Army, uh, Michael Benavides, born and raised in Roswell. Dude, give me some stories. I want them. I need them. I want to share them if you will let me. Uh, or, hey, if you want to chat on the show, bro, let me know. Um, and then Michael Ralston, dude, awesome. I haven't talked to you in a bit, but I hope you're doing well, sir. Thank you as well for your support. It means so much. Uh, again, you also can be a part of the UFO No Army at patreon.com slash UFO No Podcast, where we are going to be releasing a new episode each week for members. Bonus content coming soon. Again, no ads, all my loyalty, and more to come very, very soon. And any donation means the world to me. You can give any amount that you want. It starts with a dollar, but it ends with your imagination. So anything you can, uh, you're willing to give me, I will much appreciate it. It really helps me build up the show and put more into this thing um but now for my general shout outs big thank yous from me got to give a big shout out to black coast in the uk guys this is a killer band if you like heavy metal you are gonna love these guys black coast been giving me some shout outs love these guys been lifting listening to your music good shit these guys are awesome thanks for the shout out guys it really means a lot um i i i'm so honored to be on your podcast list it means a lot so black coast killer band go check them out uh as well as taigoshi 
uh, or Tagoshia, however you pronounce it. Ridiculous Patronus 1, Your Scented Memoried, Gigi Holland, Bob Sowen. Fuck yeah, dude. Thanks for your comments. Really appreciate it. Vince Guzman. Thank you, sir. Uh, Michelle Davis. Uh, Ahapine Panga. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but I still want to put you in there. Uh, a YouTube channel named New Sun. Anthony D and Graham in Alaska. Lenny F going fishing. Stay safe. Love you, dude. Caps NZ. Data Peter. And of course, my friends, Casey Leesky, Damon Jeffries. Love you guys. And you know what? I'm even going to give a shout out to the guy, Andrew Murphy, who says we're lame and gay because you know what? Sometimes we are. So I appreciate it. Uh, constructive criticism all the way. <laughs> he just was like lame and gay. And I'm like, I'm putting that in there. I love it. Um, and big, not, not very constructive. Hey, just hey, it, I'll take just, it all. It's all good. I got, I got a thick skin. It's okay. Um, and everyone who's bought merch, I really, really want to thank you. It means the world to me. Um, I am working on some new things. So if you got some merch, you're not super happy with the quality. Me neither. But I'm moving in another direction, so stay with me, okay? Uh, but uh, don't lose faith, everybody. I'm working on it. You can also tag UFNO Podcast with your sweet-ass gear. Help me build a portfolio of fans. I really want to do that. I really am you know, working on a website. We're starting this thing big, so I really want to put everybody on there and uh, be able to show my love for you. So if you want to get a shout-out, let me know you listen to the show any way you can, email, Twitter, whatever, or, of course, donate. That really, really does help. Go buy some merch, too. That helps as well. It's that simple. Otherwise, Ed, where can the people find you, my friend? Uh, my link tree. Uh, link tree Red Tide Studios. Link tree Red Tide Studios. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes, too. Make sure and send that to me, brah, so I can just throw that up. I will. Cool. I will. Yep. And something I'm going to start doing for the uh, Patreon fans is I'm going to start mentioning you as supporters in the show notes. So your names are going to be every one of my Patreon members. You are going to be mentioned in every single episode going forward in the show notes because I love you that much. So anyways, uh, on behalf of us, I want to thank you all very, very much. And again, um, you know, watch out for the government. As we've pointed out in multiple episodes, they're shoisty bastards. Keep your eyes in the skies. Love everybody. Bye-bye.